Well, welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Erica. I'm Sarah. And I'm Steve. So friends, today it's Shrove Tuesday. So happy Shrove Tuesday. Have an indulgent Shrove Tuesday. (laughs) Happy Mardi Gras. (laughs) Yeah. So, So today we thought since today is in fact, or the day that this episode is coming out anyway, it is Shrove Tuesday. So we thought we would take a minute to just take a deep breath and talk about what that means. What um, what does Shrove mean? What do you do on Shrove Tuesday? And why, and why is it always a Tuesday? Yeah. So, and, yeah. And can you have an overlapping of Shrove Tuesday and Taco Tuesday? Maybe. <laughs> it depends on what you put in the taco, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's 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 start with this. Like there are folks who have been churchgoers all their life, deep, deep committed followers of Jesus all their lives long, and have no clue what Shrove Tuesday or Fat Tuesday or Mardi Gras is because they come from traditions for whom all that is a foreign language. And there are other folks who've grown up with Shrove Tuesday pancake and sausage dinners or uh, donut meals or whatever uh, all their lives long, but still don't understand why or what it's all about. And to be fair, there are almost no pancakes in the entire Bible, except for the one time an angel makes pancakes for Elijah before he takes a nap and goes on his journey to go meet God at the mountain. And there, there's no syrup or bacon because he's kosher still. So where where does this day itself come from that we... We, before we get to traditions about it, where, why, why a Tuesday? What's the day? What's this all about? Okay, so Shrove Tuesday is always the day before Ash Wednesday. Okay. So since Ash Wednesday is always a Wednesday, Shrove Tuesday will always be a Tuesday. There so we go. these two days are they they go hand in hand, but some traditions will observe Ash Wednesday, but not Shrove Tuesday. So like. Mm-hmm. You know, that Hash Wednesday has more of a weightier religious weight to it than Shrove Tuesday. So maybe this is a moment for us to talk a little bit about how traditions both morph and expand over time. That like ancient, ancient, ancient Christians, like first generation Christians, celebrated the death and resurrection of Jesus as a pretty central thing. Every week, death and resurrection of Jesus, every Sunday had that rhythm of it. At some point, the Christian community said, let's have a time specifically focused on leading up to the annual celebration of Jesus' death and resurrection. And after a couple of centuries, we said, yeah, let's have a thing called Easter and back it up. We'll have a thing called Good Friday and backing it up before that 40 days before that is going to be our time of preparation leading up to that. In some form or another, we now call that Lent and kicking off Lent is Ash Wednesday that begins this season we've talked about before in this podcast, a season of penitence, of sort of somber reflection, of sort of rededication and refocus on the heart of the Christian story and in the cross and resurrection, but also a chance for us to work on um, letting God, um, you know, uh, uh, help help deepen our faith and also maybe hammer out some of our rough edges <laughs> um, in that's part of that practice. So there's yeah, Lent. So- So a big part of Lent, especially in the Roman Catholic tradition, um, has always been fasting. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. that there are certain things you don't eat during Lent. And I would say that the further back you went, probably the more strict that this was going to be. Um, like nowadays, most people don't like most Roman Catholics will not eat meat on Fridays and on certain of the days in Lent. So like definitely not on Ash Wednesday, you know, things like that. So they won't eat meat. But uh, at certain periods of the church tradition, you wouldn't eat meat like at all, like throughout the 40 40 days, like you would eat very lean meals, like you would try to avoid fats and sugar and basically anything that would make your food taste good, (laughs) you should avoid. Um, So the day before Lent started, you would often try to use up some of those ingredients in your house so that they weren't there to tempt you and or so that you would eat them before they would go bad. Um, Because, you know, you wouldn't like, especially early on in church history, you wouldn't have refrigerators. So like, you know, if you have a chunk of meat that's fresh, you should probably eat that quick before Lent started so that you wouldn't just have a chunk of rotting meat in your house. Right, right, right. yeah, so Shrove Tuesday was one of those, it was a day where you would often cook up and eat all of the fat and sugar in your house. I so appreciate your naming what you just said uh, about the, the, the historical roots in a time and in cultures where there wasn't artificial refrigeration or, my goodness, you know, uh, artificial preservatives like you wouldn't just stick the Crisco in the fridge and think, yeah, it'll last, um, but where you had to use things. And the, the things that people are refraining from in Lent, whether it was a more involved fast in an ancient time or just from meat once in a while or just from sweets, the idea is never that it's sinful or wicked to ever eat meat or sugar or fat or something like that. But the idea is we will refrain from these for a time. And it's not that it's sinful or wicked or bad ever to eat them in moderation. They're fine. And to use them then while you have them before we're going to impose a fast is also a good, it's good stewardship. It's good caretaking of, I have them. It would be a, it would be wasteful to let them go bad when rather than to eat them or consume them. So I will eat, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll use up the extra grease or the fat we have. We'll, we'll have bacon. We'll have pancakes now because we're not, going to for a while that has a way of rescuing this from just being like a a wallowing in sin while you can i think sometimes that's the way mardi gras or shrove tuesday gets hurt is well we're gonna have to have good behavior tomorrow so let's all party like crazy today like that's not really the idea it's it's more um appreciate the goodness of good things and then there will be a season when we don't have them and that's okay too yeah so like the traditional foods for shrove tuesday are often fried foods because like you would have you would fry whatever food it is in the fat mm-hmm. um and, and I'm I'm kind of fascinated by how that has translated into like modern Shrove Tuesday like the foods that we eat are like pancakes and sausages and donuts like like all very breakfasty foods yeah <laughs> so um churches will often have you know, a pancake dinner right. on the Tuesday before Ash Wednesday. And, it, it, you know, that's so fascinating to me because it's not, oh, you're trying to eat up the food that's in your house that you can't eat during Lent. Right. Like you're going somewhere right? and eating food that was especially purchased and prepared for this day. Right. And the church um, went out of the way to get the sausage and the ingredients for the pancakes. Right, right, right. Uh, 
And, you know, if you're working at one of those, there's a good chance that you might have to take some leftovers home. Right. <laughs> and, then, and then eat it the next day on Ash Wednesday. Right. It's funny to me, too, that like these are meant to be originally like indulgent foods. But um, after years and years of the one church I serve always having a pancake and sausage dinner, after being in that kitchen and smelling burnt pancakes for, you know, just the griddle smell for all those hours at the end of it, I would never want to eat pancakes for that dinner because just I couldn't take any more of that smell. I would have anything else. But like, please give me some celery sticks and cucumbers. I've been around too much bacon, grease and butter all night. Um, and that it, 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 so that, that, that experience doesn't feel indulgent to me anymore. It, it feels more just, oh, this is the smell of more work. <laughs> But I don't want to make it sound like Shrove Tuesday is just about eating, even though that that's often what it has become in modern church life. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, because Shrove, spoiler alert, does not mean food. Right. Yeah. So and this is interesting, depending on uh, what what tradition one comes from, one might call this day on the calendar different things. Sometimes it's called Fat Tuesday, and there it's just a giveaway to that this is the day when you use up all the remaining fat, butter, grease, bacon, whatever. And the, the French Mardi Gras, uh, which is sort of the, in, in American culture, we associate with you know, New Orleans and Louisiana, which picks up that French feel, is literally just the French for Fat Tuesday as well. So again, it's it doesn't mean anything wholly religious. It just means the day we use up the remaining fat before Lent starts. And again, if if there's a pocket of American uh, geography that had strongest uh, French Catholic uh, leanings, it certainly would have been a part settled by French colonizers. So Louisiana's got that. That's why New Orleans sort of has that that feel still to it. But Shrove comes from the uh, uh, almost obscure now verb to shrive that we don't use much anymore. And it was an old verb to confess your sins, like to go to confession. Again, sort of a carryover from the model of the medieval church, where you would regularly go as part of the sacrament of penance to the priest and confess your sins and assure receive uh, either assurance of forgiveness or quite likely a list of things you had to do to get back in that state of good grace, you know, prayers to be said, rosaries to be done, whatever. Um, but to confess to the, the priest is to shrive, to to confess that that's what the verb means. So shrove is simply the past tense of that. And the idea was you would be doing this before beginning this holy season of Lent as well. Um, probably the only place in English this verb still survives is in the expression to give somebody short shrift. Like I didn't listen to them very long. Yeah, I, I gave them short shrift, but that's, it's just, Harkening back to the time when listening to somebody confess their sins to you was called shriving. So, a question, especially from somebody whose tradition doesn't really do Fat Tuesday, Shrove Tuesday, Mardi Gras, whatever you want to call it, doesn't do the pancake dinners and everything. I get that we get the name from this word to shrive, to, to confess your sins. But that's what we do on Ash Wednesday. Yep. So I think that's what we do now on Ash Wednesday. Okay, that's what I'm like. I'm very Ash Wednesday. I get. I understand. Like, that's one of my favorite holidays, honestly. Um, but you know, why do we have this idea of confessing sins on Tuesday when you're going to go back and do it on Wednesday as well? So uh, way back when, so like Roman Catholic you know, Roman Catholic church pre, um, you know, Reformation. Reformation. Yeah. That's the word I'm looking for. Thanks. Uh, that it, it was very much before you had 
communion before you went to the Lord's Supper, you would have to go and do individual confession forgiveness. And that was part of like your spiritual life is that you would have to go and make individual confession before the priest. Um, That has fallen by the wayside for most Protestants, Uh, even in the Lutheran church, which is very, very similar to the Catholic liturgy and you know, stuff like we don't really do individual confessions, like that, which is why we have uh, corporate confession. We have that community confession forgiveness at the start of our services, especially our worship services that have communion, uh, that we together as a community confess that we have sinned. We don't usually name individual sins that like I've done, like it's usually sins that we've all done. It's very general, broad mm-hmm. strokes. Um, and we have that confession before our, you know, communion time where we have the, you know, body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, but yeah, that's also part of our Ash Wednesday piety as well as like, that is a day that we confess our sins. Um, and that is, and but we tend to focus and emphasize that corporate confession and less the individual confession because in my own snarkiness i suspect it's because we are very uncomfortable with that one-on-one individual mm-hmm. confession especially to our pastors and priests and bishops and um you know we don't want to we don't want to do that like that sounds very uncomfortable to me, this this gets at a piece that I I wish we could change, uh, but it would require you know undoing a thousand years of history. Like that, there are good reasons why the Lutheran tradition was uh, squeamish about individual confession. I mean, in Luther's own experience, there was always this fear of if I didn't say everything I did wrong, is it still on my permanent record? And this constant fear of did I say it right? Did I do it right? Did it, all that kind of mm-hmm. thing? And the way that can easily lead to abuse as well. And I think certainly, even within Roman Catholic circles, there's that awareness in the last 500 years that individual confession can be done well or can be a place where that can be a place for abuse or things can go wrong. So the the the, the Roman Catholic Church itself has made reforms in ways from what was a, an earlier uh, a set of abuses that had crept in or corruption that had, that had fallen. And so like we we've got all this baggage of why it can be done badly. And yet, exactly to your point, Sarah, it's something that can be really good for our souls as uncomfortable as it makes us, maybe for the exact same reason of like, it's uncomfortable to tell the truth about ourselves or have to see things or to think critically about ourselves for that matter. Um, And to have a regular practice of doing that can be really, really good. But there's such an allergy to the way it could be misused that we Mm -hmm. just, oh, let's not do it at all. And then it feels like we've got the added baggage in the American church of an attitude of nobody can tell me what to do. I'm it's just me and Jesus. And so I don't need anybody else's advice for what I do in my life, that that becomes a part of our spirituality as well. And that doesn't bode well for you go to the priest and they tell you how to make amends. I I think for me, it's also, I, I don't want to inconvenience anybody. Like I don't want to have to ask anybody to take that time to hear my confession Um, I have done individual confession forgiveness exactly once. And that was when I left my last call. Um, I scheduled a time with um, our bishop and 
asked to do individual confession and forgiveness um, for the things that I had done and for the things I had left undone at this call that I was leaving. And it, it was very much in place of an exit interview because that wasn't real, like nobody gave me the space for an exit interview. And I really needed to, to unburden myself in order to fully leave. Like I needed to like just lay some things down. And that was probably the most freeing hour that I've ever had of like being able to, you know, have a conversation with, um, with, with my bishop, who is, you know, a, a spiritual brother who oversees me or did oversee me because he's no longer my bishop. Um, but yeah, to have him hear my confession and to be able to hear him say, and you can move on. Like it was a fantastic thing. And, you know, yeah, confession, individual confession forgiveness is not part of my day to day or weekly spiritual life, but I would definitely recommend it if you have a spiritual brother or sister or like, I don't know, because I feel like it's, it's, it's important, but not necessary necessary to have somebody who is in some sort of authority over you to hear your confession. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, like it, it, it th there's that tension there. Um, but yeah, if you have the opportunity to do individual confession or forgiveness, like I would recommend it. I'm really glad you mentioned that, Sarah, that difficult relationship and how rare a bird it is to have somebody who uh, is willing to hear the stuff that we need to unload but also there's a certain level of like professionalism of knowing that the job of being a confessor is like not life coach stuff. Like afterwards, like, well, here's how you can improve your life. No, they're here to hear the stuff you got to hear and announce to you that you are forgiven in Christ. Um, and that it's different than a boss, you know, giving a supervisory report. And yet there's some degree of feeling like it needs to be someone who's got some kind of authority. Like it, it's, it's a weird kind of a role. Um, and again, because it's, it's so hard to get right. That's why a lot of people's approach is I just won't do this. I mean, it's too hard to find somebody who I can do this for, or can be this for me. And I think it's so helpful that you named it, it's burdensome for the person who hears somebody's confession and, and for pastors for whom this is part of our job. Sometimes that's part of what the job is, is we can't unknow things once we've, once we've heard them, we can, you know, um, uh, announce to the other person, as far as God is concerned, it's off your record and you're, it's forgiven and dealt with, but yeah, those are not things I would want to have to burden ordinary people with, uh, when I hear it from other people and similarly, uh, wouldn't want to hear and have other people be burdened with the garbage I've got. And that's, that's a difficult thing. Sometimes what we need is someone who can take the garbage and then, uh, is able to, to deal with it properly, to, to you know, properly dispose of the radioactive waste of our souls. And it's especially difficult when the person you are confessing to is the person that you have hurt with your sins. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because then you're like, okay, I, I'm seeking forgiveness from you and from God all at the same time. And while you might speak forgiveness from God on this, like, I, I'm hoping that you'll forgive me too. Yeah, yeah. And it, we can't just uh, put a special hat on saying, well, now I'm just me, or now I'm me speaking on behalf of Jesus, or now I'm like, the, humans don't divide up that easily or nicely. Mm -hmm. So it feels like 
all of our conversation that started about lighthearted things like pancakes and bacon and donuts and Mardi Gras beads, like there is a deep need that all of us have to be able to hear uh, that we're forgiven. Um, and also you know, a part that maybe warrants its own conversation somewhere later on down the road, even if we're forgiven, there is also still a call for reconciliation and often reparations and restoration of a broken relationship um, and how that gets worked out. Um, and that maybe what humans have been trying to do in the Christian tradition for you know centuries is how do we how do we get at that? How when I realize I've messed up, how do I hear from God that I can begin again? And how do I know that my sin is addressed and dealt with, but also face it and name it? Um, And then once we come up with a structure like that, like go to a priest and they will hear your sins and help you get a fresh start. We invent all sorts of bad theology about like, well, you have to go to the priest or else you don't get to heaven or like, no, that was, no, this is, (laughs) we didn't need to do that. We didn't need to go that direction. It was just simple enough to say, uh, this is about this is about hearing you're you're forgiven and start over. We didn't have to invent heaven points as a as a piece of it. Anything else we want to talk about about short of Tuesday? So then, uh, having exhausted all the things we can think of to say about this particular day, that also means we are coming to the end of this moment of the church's weird way of keeping time, the tail end of what has been Epiphany Tide, which means the next time we get together, we will be in the season that the church calls Lent. And we want to invite you to join us on a Lenten journey this year with a whole new series we'll be looking at this coming season. So join us this Lent here on Crazy Faith Talk. See you Bye. Oh, 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 oh,